Let's uh, pray here before I, I begin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, the believers who saw the risen Christ with their own eyes and touched him with their hands and ate and drank and laughed with him spent the rest of their lives talking about the resurrection. In fact, you couldn't shut him up. Hundreds of men and women who'd seen him were tortured and killed for refusing to change their story. All of the apostles, save one, John, who died of old age, were martyred, still insisting that Jesus had, in fact, walked out of his tomb. And I can't imagine they valued life any less than we do and gave up their lives for a conspiracy. Or that they were rubes. They were ancient, not stupid. They'd seen lots of people die, and never once, save in the case of Jesus, had they ever seen anyone come to life again. They were as incredulous as we would be. But that's why they couldn't stop talking and preaching about it. Jesus was dead, then he wasn't. Now, for sure, the apostles preached about crucifixion, about the crucifixion and Jesus as the propitiation. You hear this word sometimes uh, when we read, which is a word that means the turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of a sacrifice for us in Jesus. This the crucifixion and propitiation is a cardinal point. It's a, it's a hinge of the gospel. But the message of the cross was not the most controversial thing they had to say in their day. The claims the apostles made about Jesus' death were wildly controversial and shockingly confrontational. But they were tortured and killed, not because of what they said about his death, but because of what they insisted happen next. The sermons and acts of which Eddie read one today are filled with resurrection, showing over and over what it means for those who follow Christ. Almost no one debated that Jesus had died, but most violently refused to believe that he rose just three days later. But you read through the first sermons of um, the early church as recorded in Acts, as I did yesterday, because I was panicked about not having a sermon written yet. And they make no references to Jesus' teaching. In fact, they barely mention his earthly life. It's almost as if the story of Jesus' life and his teaching is of interest only if we see it from the vantage point of resurrection. To those early preachers, even Jesus' ethical teachings, the most enduring in history, don't seem 
as important in their own right, but take on profound meaning when we take into full account who the teacher is, that is, God incarnate, who really, really died and was literally in the greatest, in, in literally the greatest scandal of all time, and I use the word literally, literally, raised again to life. For the early apostolic preachers, the beginning point of the proclamation of the gospel was resurrection. Over and over, the disciples started there as if it was the only place to begin. And it turns out first century Jewish leaders were not nearly as offended by the grotesque Roman instrument of execution as they were by an empty tomb. Both then and now, maybe for you today, the biggest stumbling block was in fact a stone. Rolled away and silently, insistently, emphatically exclaiming the resurrection of Christ. Now, you might be skeptical uh, even here today, and, and I hope if the, you're, it's of enough interest to you that you will look at the unbelievable historical evidence of the life of Jesus and his death, and that you will believe the, the testimony of those who are willing to die for that. But I will tell you, in a world in which we are almost entirely materialist, and the most common of our phrases includes, I'll believe it when I see it, I will tell you, there are some realities that are so profound that they actually must be believed to be seen. I don't know how that is, and I don't know why it is, but it is true. So you'll get no prevarication at all from me. Jesus is not dead, and his quote-unquote resurrection wasn't spiritual or metaphorical. It was entirely physical and miraculous, and the first of billions. I believe this with every fiber of my being. And when he rose from the grave against all of Satan's lies and schemes, he guaranteed for the very first believers and for you and me 2,000 plus years later, the profoundest realities, the greatest victories in the world. Two millennia on, the resurrection as seen from the vantage point of the book of Acts still insists on God's relentless commitment to win every victory for you, including these seven <laughs> taken from the church's earliest sermons. Now, I know seven is a lot of points, and um, I, I, I'm always reminded of the pastor that had to uh, give a, a mea culpa to his congregation saying that, you know, last week's sermon just had so many points that this week's sermon is going to be pointless. <laughs> but I'm okay. So the first victory from the book of Acts 
from a sermon in the book of Acts is this. God has defeated death for you. Satan conspired with Judas, Pilate, and the Jewish leaders, according to Acts 3.15 and 2.24, to kill the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for it to hold him. And if you believe in him, death cannot hold you either. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus rose to prove that he had defeated death. Until then, death was swallowing up every ounce of life and, and hope, generation after generation, because the wages of sin is death, and there is none righteous, no, not one. So how could we sinners, you and me, have any hope of escaping death? God had promised everlasting life centuries before, but the resurrection revealed it was certain for his redeemed and adopted sons and daughters. Though millions have lived and believed and died before him, Jesus was, it says in Colossians 1.18, the firstborn from the dead. And if there's a first, God means for more to follow. God has defeated death for you. The second victory is this. God has himself purchased and guaranteed all of his promises for you. Jesus rose to prove that every Old Testament promise, prophecy, and warning was truly from God. God's promises have always been the only lifeline of hope for those living under the cloud of death, but the resurrection brought those promises into fuller and higher definition. This is Peter preaching in Acts chapter 10, verses 39 through 43. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to those of us who'd been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. To him, all the law and the prophets, in other words, all of the Old Testament, bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The promise of forgiveness and life is unfulfilled or seemed unfulfilled, probably too good to be true until we see God raise Jesus from the dead. In that moment, what seemed so impossible to man was not only wonderfully possible, but purchased and guaranteed by God himself through the resurrection of Jesus. God himself purchased and guaranteed all of his promises for you. That's the second victory. The third victory is this. God will judge every sin committed by you or against you. Granddaughter. <laughs> the third victory is this. God will judge every sin committed by you or against you. I love 
loved the way Rebecca handled this on Friday night, those of you who were with us. I wish all of you had been. But God will judge every sin committed by you or against you. While Paul was in Athens, he preached this uh, from Acts 17, 30 through 31. Now God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. <laughs> and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. <laughs> Jesus rose to prove that he would one day judge all sin every sin we've committed and every sin that has been committed against us. By his resurrection, he made clear that every sin would be punished. On the cross, thanks be to God, for anyone who sincerely repents and with true faith turns to him and in judgment for all that refuse. This the indescribably good news is that if you are alive with Christ, there is now no condemnation for you, which this same Paul wrote in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation, not some, not just a little, not barely any, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the good news <laughs> is that all of your sin will be judged but it was judged on the cross. But there's more. Because this also means no sin committed against you will be overlooked or excused by God. May not be in our timeline, but justice will come. It will come. God will judge every sin committed by you or against you. The fourth victory is this. God will restore everything wrong or broken for you. Peter calls his countrymen to Jesus, saying in Acts 3, verses 19 through 21, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven and earth must receive until the time for restoring all things, <laughs> about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus rose from the dead to prove that he would eventually return and make everything right. He rose as the beginning of the world that God has always intended. I mean, the past three years provides more than any other time in most of our lifetimes, certainly mine, stark evidence that this world is broken and breaking. And today, Easter Day is another statement that hope, not optimism, hope is as alive as Jesus. The world, this world, will be rid of sin and brokenness, including every cause and consequence. Jesus says at the end of the book of Revelation, behold, I am making what? Not all new things. All things new. 
in God's wise and loving plan, that day is not today, at least so far. But today, <laughs> but today is a great day to pause beside an empty tomb and remember what will be one day. God will restore everything wrong and broken for you. The fifth victory is this. While our bondage to sin is great, God really can set us free. Not long after Pentecost, Peter healed a man, lame from birth, inviting him to finally walk for the very first time in the name of Jesus. The priests then, of course, do what you would. They had Peter and John arrested. And so in Acts 4.2, he says, because they were greatly annoyed, not because they healed the guy, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So in custody and on trial, Peter boldly preaches in Acts 4, 10 through 12, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, as I said, confrontational, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is none, no other name. I'm sorry, I'm quoting the King James, which I learned as a child. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus rose to prove that we really can be saved from our sin. None of us deserves salvation, and we could never achieve it in our own strength and resolve if Christ did not rise from the dead, listen, hope would simply have lain there next to him in the grave. But he's not dead, and therefore we have hope. Paul preaches about the re resurrection in Acts 13, verses 36 through 39. David fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed, freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses, not by your own effort. It is for our forgiveness and freedom that Christ died, rose, and set us free. We never have to submit again, Paul wrote, to a yoke of slavery. So while our bondage to sin is great, God really can set us free. Here's the sixth victory. God will not only rescue you, but people from all over the world. Jesus was the promised Messiah of Israel, but he did not die and rise only for ethnic Israel, as we know. Again, Paul preaches in Acts 26, 22, and 23. I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the whole world. Jesus rose to prove God had chosen people from everywhere in the world. 
not only from Israel, but from Asia and Africa and even America. The church is just exploding in the Southern Hemisphere. Revelation 5.9 tells that the blood of Jesus was sufficient to purchase people from every tribe and language and people and nation. His death not only reconciles us to God, but reconciles us to one another across every conceivable barrier and boundary. And his resurrection is powerful enough to hold out hope to people everywhere on earth. So God will not only rescue you, but people from all over the world. And finally, the seventh victory of the resurrection from Acts. No evil can disrupt God's good plans for you. No evil can disrupt God good, God's good plans for you. The death of Jesus looked like the single greatest defeat God's people had ever experienced. Instead of ascending to a throne and conquering his enemies, he promised the promised king was humiliated and crucified. But at the precise moment when it looked like evil had won, God was wielding every ounce of wickedness and evil to accomplish his greatest victory. As Peter preaches to the Jewish officials in Acts 2, Jesus of Nazareth delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for death to hold him. Jesus rose to prove that God is sovereign even over the worst evil in the world. In the ultimate act of rebellion and injustice, God was pivoting all of history with love to save and satisfy his people. And by raising his son from the dead Easter morning, he promised to work all things, including, and this is sounds unbelievable, to work all things, including the hardest and most painful things in life for the good of all of his daughters and sons. No evil can disrupt God's good plans for you. I think the most important thing I hope to communicate this morning based on these victories for you from Acts is that the God of the universe does indeed love you. And even though you may have turned aside from him as we all have and deserve separation from him, eternal judgment before a holy God for sin, this holy God has done the unthinkable. He has come to us. He has lived the life that we could not live, a sinless life. He has died the death that we deserve on a cross. And he has conquered the enemy we could not conquer, death itself. And through faith in Jesus, not, not a list of things to do, but through trust in him as Savior and Lord, we can be forgiven of all our sin and restored to relationship with God for all eternity. To eternal life, joy, and peace. And in, it's amazing in, in the chapter uh, that we read from today in the Gospel, John 20, just beyond this, three times 
when Jesus appears to his disciples, the first words out of his mouth are peace, peace, peace. And especially in a world where there's so much anger and uncertainty and depression and anxiety and hurt, I want you to know that life and joy and peace that transcends this world is possible with God in the risen Jesus, and that will never, ever fade. Peter, that same rookie preacher in Acts 2, wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Thanks be to God. Amen. Yeah.